This podcast is an examination of the historical research of William Branham and his message cult following. William Branham was a minister in the gambling town of Jeffersonville, Indiana, just across the river from Louisville, Kentucky, as early as 1933. He came in contact with the Reverend Roy E. Davis, an official spokesperson for the 1915 Ku Klux Klan, and later Imperial Grand Dragon of the Ku Klux Klan. Davis introduced Branham to the Pentecostal faith and the art of faith healing, which would later be introduced into Branham's stage persona as he took his place among the evangelists in the post-World War II healing revival. Branham is credited by some as being a catalyst for the Latter Rain Movement and Jim Jones of People's Temple. This podcast is not sympathetic to the views of the Ku Klux Klan that William Branham held, but it is disturbing and warrants research. This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william-branham.org. Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message. Another book of the Bible that you won't find mentioned in the ministry of William Branham is the book of Haggai. After Jewish exile to Babylon ended, and the children of Israel taken captive returned to their homeland around 520 BC, Haggai and Zechariah began prophesying the word from the Lord to abandon the ways of their fathers and to start serving the one true God. Both prophetic books begin in the second year of the reign of King Darius, one in the sixth month and one in the eighth. Israel was severely punished for their idolatry. Their people had been scattered, some taken into captivity, some fleeing into other lands, and some remaining in the demolished city of Jerusalem. The temple had been practically razed to the ground by the conquering Babylonians that had taken Daniel and Ezekiel captive and lay in ruins for over 80 years. While God spoke through Haggai telling the people to rebuild the temple, he spoke through Zechariah telling all of the scattered Jews in the far-off lands to come return to their homeland. Zechariah 2 says, Up, up, flee from the land of the north, declares the Lord. For I have spread you abroad as the four winds of the heavens, declares the Lord. Up, Escape to Zion, you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, after his glory sent me to the nations who plundered you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. Behold, I will shake my hand over them, and they shall become plunder for those who serve them. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. While Zechariah does prophesy concerning, concerning the temple in the vision of the man with a measuring line and the prophecy of the crown and the temple, most of his prophetic words during the first two years, as described in the book of Zechariah, were describing God's vengeance upon all who had risen against Israel to place her into this fallen state. Both prophets were proclaiming preparation for the coming king. God's only Son, who would one day come to redeem the children of Israel from the curse of the law and to fulfill the Old Covenant. The book of Haggai takes place during the 6th and 7th month of Darius, 
with a call for people to come together and to finish rebuilding the temple that still was rem remaining unfinished. The word of the Lord came to Haggai focused on Jerusalem specifically and the years leading up to this point in time. Haggai 1 verses 2 through 4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is a, is it a time for you to yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lays in ruins. The temple had lay waste from the invasion during Nebuchadnezzar II, and the people had abandoned the reconstruction. There was a great division among the children of Israel after captivity, and those who remained in the homeland were at odds with those who were taken into captivity. Those not suffering exile believed them, themselves to be more pure than those who had lived under Babylonian rule in a land filled with pagan worship. Descendants from the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Levi, the Samaritans insisted that their viewpoints of religion were pure and unaltered worship of Yahweh. The prophecies of Daniel and Ezekiel were considered to be amendments to the religion, and they were widely unaccepted. Samaritans claimed that they were the true children of Israel, the descendants of the ten lost tribes that were taken into Assyrian captivity. According to the Samaritans, their version of the scrolls were original, and the Jews had falsified text that was produced by Ezra during the Babylonian exile. But the root of the problem addressed by God through Haggai was that the Samaritans had their own temple on Mount Gezerim. They claimed that it was the original sanctuary, and because of this dispute, all reconstruction of the Temple of Jerusalem had been halted, both by the Samaritans and the Jews. The Jews taken captive remembered their temple as they returned to the homeland and were devastated to find nothing but ruin. They saw the Samaritans as invaders, claiming Jerusalem as their own. This division would ultimately lead to the two groups of people completely separating and despising each other. As we find in the Gospels, when Jesus breaks cultural boundaries to speak to a Samaritan woman. But through the words of Christ, the temple claimed by the Samaritans was of little value, and their understanding of worship was very limited. In John 4, verses 21 through 23, Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for the salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and has come now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. After Haggai, the word from the Lord began to resume operations to rebuild the temple. God was well pleased. The people had suffered drought and famine without understanding why God did not hear their plea. And God explained that he was unhappy with seeing his place of worship laying in ruin. So when the people began to restore the temple, God spoke to them again 
to confirm that he was once more standing with them. In Haggai chapter 1, verses 12 through 15, it says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the high priest, and all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai their prophet, as the Lord God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord their host, their God, on the twenty-fourth day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. That's Haggai 1, verses 12 through 15. The reason that the book of Haggai is important one that we should not overlook, is because of what the restoration of the temple would bring. The children of Israel had broken the old covenant, had failed to save themselves through works righteous faith, and even failed to uphold the old covenant. The climax of their punishment was captivity and destruction of the temple. But the new beginning started with the restoration. God declared that the beauty of the new temple would be far greater than what they remembered from before its destruction. Haggai 2, verses 3 through 9 says, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work! For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not, for thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more, in a little while, I will shake all the nations, so that all the treasures of all nations will come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. That's Haggai 2, verses 3 through 9. But this book does not bode well for any leader who points prophetic words from the other books of the Bible towards their own ministry. While the books declaring Israel during the fallen state of the nation proclaim judgment and severe punishment, Haggai proclaims restoration and rest in God's blessing. While the prophet Joel spoke the word of the judgment from the Lord over 300 years prior to the reconstruction of the temple, Haggai spoke the word of the Lord of blessing. In a message entitled, I Will Restore, William Branham takes the prophecy from the book of Joel before the restoration and applied it to the current ministry. Branham, remember, promoted his ministry as the restoration of the church to the faith of the early fathers, as did many of the Malachi four prophets that have risen and fell throughout time. This sermon, again entitled, I Will Restore, is taken out of context from the 25th verse of the second chapter of Joel. 
After reading verses 1 through 4, Branham has the interpreter read the fifth verse and then builds his context by taking the 25th verse out of context. The interpreter reading, this is the fifth verse that is read. The vine is dried up, and the fig tree languisheth, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, and the apple tree. Even all the trees of the field are withered, because joy is withered away from the sons of men. Branham speaking, he says, Now in Joel 2, the 25th verse, is my text for the night. And the interpreter reading again the 25th verse, I will restore to you the years that the locust hath eaten, the canker worm, and the caterpillar, and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. That's 1955, I will restore. But while taking a single verse out of context, and especially during a ministry that avoided the book of Haggai, it would sound as though God was sending a restorer. Without the word of the Lord given to Haggai, this prophecy from Joel was left unfulfilled, requiring the work of another man to come and finish the otherwise broken promise of God to the children of Israel. Haggai is important because God does not break his promises. Haggai 2, verses 8 through 18 through 19 says, Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. It's Haggai 2, 18-19. And Haggai is another prophecy that confirms Malachi chapter 4. God was about to shake the world and then purge it with fire of the Holy Ghost and bring justice to the nations that rose against Israel. Caribobel was chosen to be the one that God remembered whenever that the men remembered when God fulfilled this promise. In Haggai chapter 2 verses 20 through 23 it says and the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month speak to Zerubbabel the governor of Judah saying I am about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders and the horses and their riders shall go down everyone by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, son of Shealtel, declares the Lord, and I will make you a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. That's Haggai 2, verses 20 through 23. Though the glory should be given to God above any man, and though men should never be lifted up into glory that is equal to God, if any man is to be considered the restorer for people to observe, for the restoration of the vine tree, the fig tree, the pomegranate, and the olive tree, Zerubbabel would be the one, not a man from the 20th century. God said that he chose Zerubbabel as the signet ring, and the, that the dominion of the Father was entrusted with him. According to custom, royal princes sign their proclamations 
their grants and their commissions with their signet rings. In Esther 3.10, it says, So the king took his signet ring from his hand and gave it to Haman, the Agitite, the son of Hamathda, the enemy of the Jews. It was for signing a seal. It's Esther 3.10. But remember, the glory is to be given to God, not man. Christ Jesus is the signet on God's right hand, and all power is given to him and through him. Paul said that Christ was the signet ring that repealed the old covenant and signed the new covenant of grace between God and man. Through Christ, the gospel was signed, sealed, and delivered to the people. Hebrews 8, 6-7 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Again, Hebrews 8, chapter 13, he says, In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete is growing old and ready to vanish away. It's Hebrews 8, verse 13. But without the book of Haggai, in pointing this restoration away from Jesus Christ towards a man in the 20th century, this new covenant has been made irrelevant. The seal that was placed on the covenant, signed with the blood of Christ, becomes an ancient history rather than a current blessing. Haggai was so important that when Paul was speaking to the Jews about the old covenant of law being replaced with the new covenant of grace, he specifically mentioned Haggai 2, verse 6. Haggai 2, 6 says, For the Lord, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea and the dry land. Listen to what Paul says in Hebrews chapter 12. At that time his voice shook the earth, but he is now promised. Yet once more will I shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. That's Hebrews 12. Verse 26, Hebrews 12 takes the prophecy of Haggai and it expands upon it and points it to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the signed new covenant of grace. Paul did not avoid Haggai and he did not point scriptures of restoration towards himself. Paul pointed the Old Testament prophets to Christ. And then he explained that all things were fulfilled when Christ died on the cross for us. If we read Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 19, Paul speaking, it says this, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest, and the sound of a trumpet, and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountains, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, in the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. He continues and says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Yet once more will I shake the earth, not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. <clears throat> 